well, now I can't stop. It's a theme. Hello and welcome to the Downloadable Concept Podcast. We're joined today by Time Magazine's Person of the Year 2006, Jeb Wrench. I'd like to thank my co-host for getting mbop stuck in my head. <laughs> Joining us as well is Time's Person of the Year 2006, Fox Lee. I'd like to thank all those fuckers who bought up Australia's ample supply of amiibos to sell on eBay for twice as much. Dicks. And I'm Time's Person of the Year for 1982, Talon Lee. Do that again and I'm calling my agent. So, hey Jeb, what you been playing? I have been playing... Mainly, I've been playing Line. Oh, good. It's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you playing this. This is that uh, little indie puzzle game. It's on Android and PC. Yeah. iOS, Melbourne developer. I presume. Yep. Part of many humble bundles at this point. And just cheap enough on its own that uh, you can, if you like puzzle games, you can get wrapped up in it for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. There's also this... Uh, I'm not sure if you're if you've gotten to the point yet, but there's also this uh, larger meta game around, a meta puzzle around it. I don't think I've seen that yet. I'm only up to, like, level H. Uh, after you get a, cer- uh, a certain number of the, 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 the triangle bits unlocked, yeah. you get a, a feature to uh, see various different, I think they're puzzle pieces, or, or like a, a crypto crypto code. You know, this, this combination of lines represents a certain letter, oh and the idea goodness, is you're supposed really? to go on Go on, yeah. You're supposed to go on forums, or or tw- or you can post on Twitter and say, "What does this mean? Has anybody else seen this?" So kind of like Fez, but legitimately intriguing. Yes. Wow. I d- I did not know that at all. Uh, my experience of Line is that it's this wonderful, meditative, calming little uh, puzzle experience, which after a stressful day, really, is, it's really sweet. Though. To get an expert opinion on this, Jeb, let's say you have, I think it's like $3, and you can buy either Hexels Plus or Line. Which would you recommend? Hexels. Yeah, okay. I, I figured as much. No insult meant to Line, but I think Hexels, the the entire series of Hexels, quite possibly the best pure puzzle game I've ever, series I've ever played. Wowie. Yeah. Um, watching, watching Jeb play Hexels and talk about it on Twitter was truly amazing. Uh, at one point, what was it? He mentioned that um, it genuinely makes me feel like I've gotten smarter. I think that was your line. Hexels as a as a game is it manages to hit all three of the necessary bases for an excellent puzzle game, and that's you feel not very clever when you aren't getting the right answer. You feel like a genius when you finally snap into place, <laughs> <laughs> and you. It's a it's a sense of accomplishment that you're as you recognize the the patterns that emerge and apply them onto later puzzles in Hexels. That's fantastic. What about you, Fox? What have you been playing lately? Oh, very little. It's not been a good week for me. I've been doing way too much web design work and not nearly enough just playing games for fun work. <laughs> um, I did finally get my hands on Never Alone, which I've been waiting to do since I first saw it. Um, but I haven't been able to play much of it yet, because I played a little and I had controller issues. So uh-huh. I had to put it down for a bit until I could fix that. It That's went okay until I got up to the point where you get the um, spinny thing, you throw it. Oh, uh, yeah, which was extremely hard to control on the gamepad. I don't know if that's because I was doing it wrong, if my gamepad wasn't working properly, or if it's just not very good for gamepad controls. And unfortunately, as much as I love, I love how that game looks, I love the idea, I love the story, I love the, the fact that it's not been made by another white guy from North America, I 
you know, I love everything about it except the keyboard control scheme. Which yeah. we have absolute disagreements about how you should map out keyboard controls for 2D games. I'm finding a lot of the commentary on Never Alone puts it squarely in the 7 of 10 category, in that this game is doing interesting stuff, but it's not polished enough to get past that. That's probably fair. I mean, like, I haven't played it enough to know for sure, but right now it's giving me the impression of something that is really lovingly made and, and really thoughtfully made, but, uh, you know, still really shows those indie roots. Um, and I'd probably still buy a copy of it for anyone I could, because... That kind of game needs more exposure. We need more games like that. And just because I take joy in in the whole fact that these are the kind of people someone's going, well, if you want representation, make your own games. And they fucking did. And, you know, that's that's worth a few 7 out of 10s, for sure. For the next couple of days, it's on sale on Indie Gala Store for 40% off. Good, right? Mm, yeah, which, I mean, it's probably worth full price, frankly. But, uh, you know, just buy two. <laughs> in the context of... Never Alone and other games I've been thinking about lately, uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution and Transistor being the two big ones. We as a gaming culture are very quick to attack a thing for what it doesn't do well, but we don't tend to espouse games for what they try to do. Like, Transistor's systems didn't click for me, but it, it's gorgeous and it tries to be gorgeous, and there is heart in that game. Uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution, thanks to planning and structural errors has awful boss fights but the rest of the game is clearly designed with a very deliberate mindset and in never alone's case bad controls but it's beautiful it has a great story it has wonderful character to it so it's fantastically atmospheric and and moody and pretty and you spend the whole time sort of wondering which emotional response is appropriate which is really interesting i mean it's not a it's not a sad game it's not a game that's supposed to make you feel bad exactly but it is really it puts you in a different emotional state to what video games usually do and that in itself is something worthwhile just speaking as a white person and therefore kind of emblematic of colonialism i find almost all indigenous art has this very mournful air to me because this is part of my brain going <laughs> might just be because it triggers your guilt response well yeah, yeah. There, there's a reason there isn't that much of this stuff around and it's mostly people who thought they were building a better life for me as far as what i've been playing i have a bit of a guilty confession here did you finally start playing bad rats i was gonna say that he beat me to it no, no. I have a, I have a confession in that I signed up for the Heroes of the Storm closed beta a couple of months ago. That's it. I'm out. Oh, that's that's like it's the a Warcraft MOBA thing. That's the Starcraft MOBA, isn't it? It's the Starcraft Warcraft everything else they do. Craft MOBA. Craft Craft. <laughs> Yeah. I, ah! Okay, look, Blizzard can make fun-to-play games, and Blizzard are good at iterating their own mechanics and polishing them up until they're all shiny and stuff, but MOBAs seem to be very personality-driven, and Blizzard's characters are balls. Well, is there... Uh, there better be a Blackthorn in there. <laughs> the Lost Vikings are, apparently. Mm-hmm. Ah, damn it! You get three Lost Vikings as one character. Of course. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Fuck it. God, now I can't just... I can't be disdainful about this anymore. That's actually really cool. I can be disdainful about it. You know why? Because they're not making an actual Lost Vikings game. (laughs) (laughs) That's a damn fine point. I don't mean any disrespect to... um, No, sorry. 
Uh, I have a friend who was already in the beta. He went into the alpha of the game. He was very excited for it. He's a game dev. He likes looking at games in alpha. He likes thinking about how games work together. He's a great guy. I love the guy to pieces. And he said, look, it'll cost you nothing to try. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see what you have to say about Heroes That's of the Storm. That's a fairly good pitch. How I was about Hearthstone. And, yeah, well, I've got Hearthstone installed. I still haven't finished the tutorial because did I'm scum. Hearthstone, did Hearthstone catch you, Jeb? Well, it's a digital card game. What do you think? <laughs> well, that that was what I was expecting, but it could have been the exception that. Uh... Oh, it, it it was certainly the exception. I did not get into it. At ah, <laughs> Hearthstone feels like a game only from the outside. I still haven't gotten into it. That it's lots and lots of polish. I don't know if it has any heart yet. It's designed for a certain style of of competitive play, and that's really all I can say about it. Is it didn't resonate with me. Oh, that's fair enough. I prefer Soulforge. <laughs> well, Soulforge has robot dinosaurs. Which is cooler than anything Blizzard's designed. Mm. Well, I like some of the things Blizzard have designed. Mostly in Overwatch, but... Do you like any of them as much as robot dinosaurs? I dare say there are probably things I like that Blizzard have designed more. Actually, wait, hang on. Blizzard let me turn into a horned bear and bite things in the face. Oh, fuck it. Okay, I forgot the druid forms. Those are pretty rad. You can turn into a crow with horns. I wanted very, very badly to be a troll bear in yes, Warcraft. The tusked punk bear. Which, yeah, I, I absolutely love that model, but I could never bring myself to do it because I hate that stupid, not actually a bat flight form so <laughs> much. It's, it's not a bat, it's like this weird, just flattened possumy thing with skins between. It's like a flying squirrel almost. Somebody threw a chimera, half a chimera into a sandwich press. Yes! <laughs> if it was just an actual bat, it could be a really excellent model, but instead they had this weird concept of a bat that's like a, a sail with a, a face. It's a kite. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. I've been downloading Heroes of the Storm. Don't give me the shame eyes. I'm giving you the shame eyes from here. I can feel them. I can feel <laughs> the shame. <laughs> Hold on, it'll take him a while to feel them because our download speed is very slow. And I have, <laughs> in that time, been mostly downloading... Because I've been downloading uh, that game, I haven't been playing any other games I have installed. I've been going back to, of all things, Magic the Gathering Online and Minecraft. Because Magic the Gathering Online gave me Fate Reforged, and I could talk about that for quite a bit. <laughs> I gave Talon some cards. I'm wondering if I should ask either one of these to tell me about Magic the Gathering. <laughs> Jeb very kindly and graciously gave me some cards which have gone into a variety of different commander decks. It's how I've managed to address concerns I had about certain commander cards, particularly Hythonia the Cruel, who is a gorgon that goes monstrous and kills everything at the board. Oh, I know her. Yeah, you've all lost the non gorgons. Uh... She kills all the non gorgons. Yeah, there's a balancing there's a balancing factor with Hythonia, which is when you sit down with her as your commander, everyone at the table kills you on turn five. <laughs> That's actually an intriguing concept. That this might be a commander that people want to kill more than they want to kill my Sisse every time she hits the table. With Sisse Killing Sisse is relatively easy. She's got a two toughness. That's very You can true. offhandedly kill her. And killing her twice is heaps. With Hythonia, she's a big expensive beast in a color that provides her with all the mana she needs. Not that green white can't, but you. What is she natively before she goes monster? She's a 4 6. Okay, six points of toughness is still pretty. Yeah, that's comparatively not can... difficult to kill compared to my 2 2. Yeah, it's not something you could offhandedly brush off. But it does make her a priority. 
And she doesn't die to Doomblade. <laughs> I need to put a commander deck together so I can actually play against you sometime. Yes. We'll stream it for we'll stream it for Kickstarter backers. Nice. Ah, ah damn it! That makes me wish I had like any funds on Moto. <laughs> but it would be ridiculously expensive to put together my preferred commander deck on Moto. I was gonna say putting together a commander deck on Moto is disturbingly cheap, and I remember the commander you Not want to play. Not my commander deck. Though actually, um, the the new one I was working on might be doable on Moto. Marath is like a buck. Yeah, and most of the cards in that, like the Susei deck, by its nature, is kind of a golden monstrosity oh, because yes. it's like I want the best legends from green and white and very yeah. little else. Yeah. Hey, hey, Jeb, do you reckon it'd be easy to get your hands on a on an Elish Norn and a Brimaz and <laughs> a Nylea and a Heliod and a Gaia's Cradle and a Avacyn and a <laughs> Well, there's an Acroma in there for starters. Yes. By the way, all of these have been proxy to have what I feel is more sufficiently attractive artwork. Yeah, we have the real cards. Even the ones that had good artwork originally. <laughs> She's got like an altered version of, of uh, Acroma that's actually like a, a sensible high neck armored Fire Emblem it's character. Titania from Fire Emblem, <laughs> <Yeah>. in fact. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is totally right. works. Yeah, I can't, I can't spare Nightly. I only have two, so. Also with Fate Reforged. There are there are some neat little design things like Jeskai Infiltrator is an amazingly clever design of card. I think that it's a really great card. Mm-hmm. But also Temur Sabretooth. <laughs> ah, I love that card. This is an amazing card. T- typically speaking, as a casual, like I've written articles about Magic the Gathering in the past, and one of the points I tried to make when I was recommending people to pick up new cards for their decks, when I released a deck list for people, I would always try to make sure that the cards that I included in that deck would be useful in other decks. I didn't like saying, go pick up this one particular card that's only valuable in this one deck. This meant that I wound up recommending my readers pick up cards like Phyrexian Arena and... um Draining Welk. Stuff that wasn't particularly casual? Stuff that was at least leaning towards the more, like, could be competitive potentially, but more importantly, you will use this in many places. Right. You don't necessarily need your big black finisher to be this particular big black finisher if you've got a good big black finisher. My one of choice was always the Skeletal Vampire, for example. So you were recommending workhorse kind of cards. Yes. I think the, uh, I think the fashionable, uh, idiom for that would be a little black dress. Yeah, a little black dress and card. In this case, Temua Sabretooth is a green little black dress. If you like playing green, if you like playing creature decks, get yourself a playset of Temua Sabretooths. They are amazing. They go into... And a, go on, Jeff. And a cornerstone of the Team <clears throat> Ascendancy uh, combo deck. Oh yeah, they, they help you go infinite if you want to do that. I'm still bitter about Tomo. They're really trying to get me to like blue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am... Fight the power. I am very green-red. I am very green-red. But ooh, they keep tempting me. Not gruel, then die. <laughs> Words to live by. Fox does occasionally branch out into the green-white-red. Yeah, yeah, I, I have definite quantities of white in me as well. I you mean, the, the deck I've been playing white. most lately is the Sissé deck. Yeah, but um, in the end, you love green-red, you love big smashy monsters. I fancy a lot of how white looks a lot of the time. Mm. They get very pretty, elegant, noble, warlike things, and I like noble, warlike things. Asbon is good for that. Yep. Yes. Um, Another thing Fox doesn't like how it's making her feel about an enemy color. <laughs> Unfortunately, red is not usually good for that. Red yeah. tends to have... Well, it tends to have goblins for starters, and goblins have never, ever, ever been attractive. Team Skink. 
On the other hand, though, Innistrad, holy cow. The artwork uh, in Innistrad, the visual style and the costuming, and they just have some really amazing-looking angels who are not rocking the stupid, gratuitous costuming, and I damn near want a just a complete collection of Innistrad because it looks so good. Yeah, it's a beautiful set. The uh, Boros from Gatecrash were pretty good for Red and, red and Noble. Yeah, true. Boros have a good look going on. Yep. Now, Tamil Sabertooth sits alongside... I'm not... No hyperbole here. <laughs> Tamil Sabertooth sits alongside Eternal Witness. Oh, come on. No, no, li- seriously. Like, my recommendation for casual players is, like, let's say you like playing green. You want to get a play set of Eternal Witnesses. They are really good for almost any green deck. You will be able to make a use for them. You'll be able to find a home for them. Tamil Sabertooth is that good for casual play. It's an aggressive creature on its own. It's it's a 4-3 four, for 4. That's perfectly good. It can become indestructible in response to wrath effects, so it can be used defensively. It can be used offensively to reuse your own comes-into-play abilities. It is a really fantastic little guy. And it's a tiger that bounces things, so it's a tigger. Also, speaking of awesome noble warlike things, fucking Timor animals with their glowing rune paintings, <laughs> and oh my god, they look cool! Awaken the bear! Yes, I would, uh, I'd love to have a whole deck of just awesome painted tattoo beast things. Yes! During the pre-release, I got wrecked by Yass of a Dragon Claw so many times. <laughs> <laughs> she's, a uh, she's a bit strong. Is she the one who was confirmed trans, or? No, that was Alicia. That's Alicia, who smiles at who smiles at death? Yes, the uh, the Mar- the old Mardu Khan. That was a massive surprise coming from Wizards, and I'm really proud of them. Yeah, and I quite like that. This is this is a random statistic, but on Mitjo on Mitgo, the prices for cards are fairly depressed. Like most rares will sell for five cents to fifteen cents. They're not very expensive well, because they're basically infinite supply. Yeah, Alesha is still selling for three tickets each. She's like three <laughs> bucks. Mm-hmm. Alesha isn't doing anything in tournaments that justifies a particularly high cost. So if she's selling for a decently large amount, and she's selling for more than the other commanders from her set. Except for Tassigar, I assume. Uh, yeah, Tassigar is, um... Tassigar is ridiculously good. He is doing things in tournaments. Terrible, terrible (laughs) things. Beautiful things. (laughs) Oh, and he's got a banana in the art as well. But... If there are monkeys involved in this, I'm walking. No. Um, Mark Rosewater... It took, like, all the vintage magic for me to get away from fucking monkeys. <laughs> Mark Rosewater doesn't like bananas, the actual fruit. Tassigar is... Well, Alessia is part of a cycle. The black card in that cycle is a... He has... Oh, no, this is going uncomfortably. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. The black card in that cycle <laughs> is a... Well... It's a legendary dude who's, uh, I think it's, I can't remember his stats off the top of my head, but basically... He's a 4-5. Sorry, he's a 4-5? He's a 4-5. That's sizable. 4-7, but he has Delve. So he's a 4-5 for 1. And uh, he's a 4-5 for 6 with Delve. Sorry, he's a 4-5 for 6 with Delve, who has a special ability that dumps cards from your graveyard into your, sorry, from your library into your graveyard and then lets you pick one of them up of your opponent's choice. Am I too late to say, fuck Delve! <laughs> No, you're not too late to say. God that. damn it, Delve! Yeah, just so just so happens that he has Delve to get rid of the ones you don't want. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a good card. I watched the uh, SCG Open uh, the first week that Fate Reforged was in standard, and oh my god, did he just wreck everything! <laughs> I'm imagining these extensive counter magic fights over a bluff spell 
and then, okay, cool, that fight's over, I'm now playing him for one black. The game has changed. <laughs> Fox doesn't like Dell. She doesn't like graveyard mechanics. I Look, I don't mind people bringing things back from the graveyards, uh, you know, now and then, as long as they're things that sort of legitimately belong to them. I was very unfond of the reanimated decks that was just like, let's have an entirely black deck with an off-color win condition, because I don't ever have to cast it. That sort of thing really pissed me off. Yeah. But Delvers more specifically, I, I just never saw it being used for anything that wasn't abusive, non-interactive <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> well, put it this way, there's 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 a... In Fate Reforged, there is a time walk with Delve and nobody's using it. <laughs> I'll go you one better. Delve was allowed to exist in modern for one season. Before, they banned everything. Before two ban- cards got banned. <laughs> And one of them got restricted in vintage. <laughs> and it's a common... It's a common... Treasure Cruise. Ah. Which is seven and a blue, draw three cards, delve. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I bet very regularly people paid seven for it. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I love... I have Treasure Cruised for one, <laughs> twice, a single game, and it was beautiful. Felt great every time. Ah. I've played a commander deck... Which is green blue, where I have eternal witness back treasure cruise three times. Oh, get out! <laughs> and every time I felt this is not fair at all. <laughs> exactly. I think we can all admit that even if we're having fun, sometimes we recognize something is not fair. Well, that's why birthing pot is gone, and thank God for that. Yeah. I used to I used to play uh, mono green elves in Urza's Saga block. I know a thing or two about doing things that are extremely fun, but not fair in the least. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you played Mono Green Elves for a while there as well, didn't you? I played... later than Urza's, because we didn't even start playing until Scourge. I, I played Mono Green Elves in tournament in OLS, Onslaught Legion Scourge, which is to say, I got absolutely monstered by any control deck, but <laughs> if you weren't a control deck, I rolled over you. Um, was that the first deck of yours that you named? Yeah, that was Pansy Salad. <laughs> I used to have a, a play set of Gaius Cradles. <laughs> we have a play set of Gaius Cradles. That's one, isn't it? And it's five. <laughs> <laughs> one and it's Before then, deck. it used to be four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With crop rotations. <laughs> we had a, um... Crop rotation is a fair card. Crop rotation a Gaius Cradle into a Gaius Cradle. Oh my glory. I didn't think of that. With with Priests of Titania on the table. <laughs> In fact, I recall that uh, one of the things we uh, passed on to one of the other players at the store when we lost our job was uh, a Spanish guy's cradle. Yes. Oh, my. Yes. Why? Because he paid, like, what, $40, $50? He paid a lot of money for yeah. it. Yeah. There's a, there's a related... The, the thing I like about that is you have these old decks, which are like these ridiculous mana engines, and that's great and all, but now we have things to do with ridiculous mana engines. <laughs> now we have things like Protean Hydra and Hooded Hydra. Hydra Broodmother. Hydra Broodmother. I like Hydras. You do not know the face of despair until you end of turn, end of your last opponent's turn, Court of Calling up a Hydra Broodmother and then... Go monstrous for 22. <laughs> Hail Hydra! <laughs> I, 
uh, more fond of I can never remember its name. Is it a feral hydra or is it Polychronos? Uh, no, no. Uh, oh, yeah, Polychronos is pretty great too. He's hanging out with Sissy. Um, no, the um, the one that just doesn't take damage instead of gets that many counters. Phyto Hydra. Love that thing. No, uh, the thing the thing with Hydra brewed by the fox when he goes monstrous. Well, when she really probably probably she goes monstrous. No, she makes little baby hydras, doesn't she? She makes X X X's. It's yeah. very big hydras, very big baby hydras. Made Untap, attack everyone, win the game. <laughs> Ooh, I forget in Commander you can attack in multiple directions at once. Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever done that in one of our games. It's just everyone always forgets you can do it. Send in the Hydras. And now, coming to you live, all the news that's fit to print for the month of January 2011. It's Retro Gaming News. Brought to you by Dark Souls Potion Meat Products, now with 100% more Gaming Dragon. This time in 2011, we're watching the closeout of January, which, as we all know, was a bit of a doldrum month. But apparently in 2011, they didn't get that memo. And a whole bunch of different games came out in January. Now, interestingly, we have two games that aren't sequels. Is it Loom? No, but one of them does feature a figure using a dynamic spell system and a hood you can't see anything of their face under. It's a Paradox Entertainment game. It's Magicka. It's Magicka! A game that claims to have cooperative play, but they're lying. They're lying. <laughs> They have uncooperative play? It's really uncooperative play. <laughs> it's a, it's a, please don't stand in front of my lasers game. You may remember me at one point remarking how games are engines to make stories. The stories Magic and Gate generates are always, and this is how Barry fucked up this time. <laughs> I'm gonna say, this is how I came to hate all my friends. Part of the DLC marketing for Magicka involved horrible ways that the yellow robed wizard was going to get killed by the other wizards. <laughs> Excellent. It's a it's a it's a very honest game as well. Like the magic system doesn't lock itself away. It's not a matter of oh you need to unlock these spells. No, you find out how the spells work, but if you know how they work from day one, you can be doing reign of apocalyptic fire. And usually killing all your friends. Yeah. Which does mean <laughs> occasionally you can get amazing spell misfires in the middle of frantic combat moments. You know what? Okay. That reminds me a little bit of playing the original Gauntlet. It's not that not that Gauntlet had friendly fire exactly, but I don't know if this is true for everyone else, but the entire point of the game was just to get the Grim Reaper following your friends. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that you know, harkens me back to that memory. Magicka is a really interesting game. It looks really good. I like how... Like, just in the first area, there's a bit where there's a river and there's a thing on the other side of it, and I had no idea how to get it. It's like, well, you freeze the river. You just hey. freeze the river and walk across. Well. Oh, that's really smart. And then, <laughs> and then my friend fucked up and set the river, uh, set the ice I had put on the river on fire. And you died. Brilliant! <laughs> because wizards can't swim. <laughs> in Magicka, there's also a sequence where there's a sword and the stone that really was. early on, and you pick it up, and the stone comes with you, and you now have a club. <laughs> In Magicka, there is a part uh, where you have to protect some villagers from invading monsters, and if you do, you get some of their... Oh, and the the, the village is also the uh, royal stockpiles for, for their uh, gunpowder and things like that. <laughs> you don't say! If you succeed completely, you're rewarded with a very special weapon, an M60. <laughs> I think I'm sensing the tone of this game already. Magicka has a character who is definitely, definitely not a Dracula. 
Ah, yes. Vlad is Vlad is Vlad is not a vampire. <laughs> Vlad repeatedly will tell you that he's not a vampire. Also, all the characters talk in child Swedish. Oh, it's that one. Gobbledy gook. Yes. All right. <laughs> the seafood is banana. Excellent. I should get that next time it goes on special. That sounds like heaps of fun. All right. Here's the one of the one of the, it even has its own D, uh, Vietnam DLC. Yeah. If you wanted to do the Vietnam War, but with wizards. Because that's the thing we want to relive. Yeah, I would have. I would have picked a different war. I probably would have picked the the one with the Nazis because Nazis are inherently comedic now. This should have come up last week. Honest to God, I think I missed that. I no, it's not Loom. I'm, I'm going to stop doing that now. I promise. Really? It's a. Is it Fire Emblem? No. <laughs> it's a point and click adventure game that I should have mentioned last week. Oh, it is Loom. No, it's not Loom. <laughs> Damn it, it's not Loom. Um. <clears throat> It's a Nintendo DS title. Ghost Trick! Ghost Trick, yes. <laughs> Best video game dogs that aren't missile! Ghost Trick is just a fantastic point-and-click adventure game. I really am embarrassed. I forgot about it last week. Yeah. It's well, on it's... iOS, but it's kind of buggy. You almost forget about it when you're only thinking about point-and-click games because it has quite an interesting puzzle mechanic. Yeah. Rather than being straight up, you know, walk around, poke things. Yeah. I've never gotten the chance to play it. You almost don't want to say much about it because so much of it is a spoiler. So much of it is this really smart, emergent narrative. It's very hard mm. to pick out an individual thing. It's framed as you're a ghost trying to solve your own murder, and you do this by reversing time around the murders of other people, which lets you avert people's murders. The also, you can start, you can't talk to anyone unless they're one of the people that you save from dying. Because yeah. once they've had that experience in one timeline, they can now talk to ghosts. It's a very funny game. It's a very well-written game. It's one Beautiful. of the only mysteries ever that you don't see the ends coming. I, there's probably someone out there who worked it out before it actually happened, but I sure as shit didn't. And visually it's beautiful, and it's a point-and-click adventure game that uses its interface as... It, its puzzles are more consistent and iterative than just running around rubbing, rubbing items on one another. <laughs> You said it was an I on I iOS. Is it also on Android? No, and boo! Any, yeah, it's not available on Android. Damn. It is available on the Nintendo DS. I don't think it's currently in the 3DS store. No. You that can probably said, pick up a game card of it for very cheap now, though, because it wasn't... Like, it didn't go big or anything, despite the fact that it deserved it. You could probably get a used copy of it for, like, $10. After finding out about Infinite Galaxy, I'm stunned at what happens to DS cards after they're out of the public eye, though. <laughs> Did you hear about this? Oh. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Infinite Galaxy. It's a game. I've seen it at EB. Pre-owned for like 25 bucks. Didn't pick it up at the time because I don't tend to do that. A new copy of that game is $200 now. <laughs> well, that... Okay, that only happens with a select few games. It's though. true. Like, that happens with your Suikoden 2s and your Fire Emblem Path of Radiances and the the ones that people regret not picking up at the time. Yeah. Most of them just pass into the... Hey, you know, Path of Radiance, that was the GameCube one, wasn't it? It was indeed. It's not that expensive in America. It's ridiculously expensive oh. to get a PAL copy. In, um, I gave that copy, my copy of that away. <laughs> well, you probably made someone very happy. In, uh, in Infinite Galaxy, you get to refine sections of your ship by playing Tetris and rearranging them. Nice. And color connections make the things to be, you know, even more refined. It has a visual novel component where you get to encourage your shipmates to be better friends with another. It has a political and diplomacy element where you want to make sure that various wings of the Galactical Federation like one another, and you can deliberately scapegoat yourself so they like one another more wow. because they both hate you. That sounds excellent. I've it's, never even heard of this game. It's clever enormous. 
Fiora told me about it, and by the way, big shout-outs to Fiora, who is absolutely Yay. amazing. Go, Fiora. Um, she got me onto it. She legitimately has me thinking that I probably want to emulate this game and then buy it when I can, because it looks incredible. Um, she described it as, like, a really good, cute Battleship Yamamoto game. That does sound pretty excellent. I am, I am bummed that I never heard of this. I, you know, the DS had an amazing quantity of just excellent games, which... Yeah was often hard to notice because it also had an amazing quantity of shovelware, like, just profound. There were three Sonic games on the DS in one year. <laughs> I meant shovelware, shovelware, like, you know, franchise tie-in games with absolutely oh, yeah. no soul being made by the numbers by some poor fuck who thought, I finally made it into the games industry. Poor son of a bitch. So, like you said, three Sonic games <laughs> in one year. <laughs> well, that will be today's sick jab burn. <laughs> By the way, on the note of... Stay tuned next week to find out who Jeb is going to own next. <laughs> I want to remind you, the company that made Killer Instinct <laughs> also made the Battleship tie-in game. <laughs> I'm not saying they never get to make games. They escape sometimes, and sometimes beautiful things happen. <laughs> and then going the other way, of course, the company that made Eternal Darkness made two humans. Yes. Yeah, well, it's, it's yeah, making games is a career, and careers, it's nice when they can be about other things, but they can never not be about making enough money to survive. And now, onto the sequel farm part of January 2011. Hooray! Alright, We're up to DLC 4 at this point, so we're, we're well into sequel territory, I understand. Nice. <laughs> we're our own sequel. We're our own reboot. <laughs> <laughs> Jeb's being played today by an armoured polar bear to see how that goes with the 14-year-old demographic. <laughs> So that's just the same, right? Yeah, nothing's changed, really. Uh, <laughs> that, incidentally, that was why the friend who wants me to play Heart of the Storm, Heroes of the Storm, mentioned I should play that with him instead of League, because he said, look, most of League is about strategically denying resources. It's not about actually fighting, and the fact of the matter is if you let me pay, play a 13-foot-tall sentient polar bear with cannons on its shoulders, I want to fight things. <laughs> This, this is an amazing example of a sequel, alright? So, it's a sequel of a spin-off of a reboot of a sequel of a NES game. Oh, a NES game. A NES game. Because until you got to there, I was going to say it's one of them, you know, Call of Duty got spun off into Gears of War, whichever. No, I, can't, I can never remember. Was there a... It's not Loom. It's not Loom. You're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> was there was there a spin-off to Kid Icarus Uprising? Uh no, no, but you're thinking around the right kind of NES game. Uh, in that is it, it... It's definitely one that someone remembers really fondly. It's not the most recent well, the most recent thing at the time that they'd done with Metal Gear, is it? No, no. Is it um The game that it's a spin-off from is the Castlevania No. The game that it's a spin-off no. from got an absolute critical kicking. A spin-off of a sequel or a spin-off of a reboot? It's a spin it's a sequel of a spin-off of a reboot. Sequel of a spin-off of a reboot. So the reboot got an absolute critical drubbing. It still got a sequel and then a, a spin-off game at that time. No. And the spin-off game was a fairly faithful reproduction of the NES game. But the reboot wasn't. No. The so reboot they rebooted it, then they did a spin-off that was actually a reboot. Holy fuck! My brain hurts. And they came Game out to get your shit together. Yep. And they and they launched they launched the reboot, which was meant to be the grim and gritty. Let's get into this new franchise thing. And then they released a smaller, cheaper online distribution only venue 
for the spin-off. Oh, oh, um, uh, it's, fuck, I can't remember what it's called. It's incredibly hard. You have a rocket pack. No, interestingly. What's the one I'm thinking of? You're thinking of Dark Void Zero. That's it. Which was made by Other Ocean, who also made IDARB. But am I remembering incorrectly that it got, that there was like a dark reboot of the original one, and then they went, no, what people really like is this crazy-ass pixel thing. Oh, Bionic Commando. Bionic Commando Rearm 2. Of course. He got there. Okay, I didn't know that got a sequel. Yeah. How the fuck did that get a sequel? I don't know how it got a sequel either, but apparently you could have bought it on the Xbox 360 at this point. Well, the 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 spin-off itself was really good. Okay, received. Yeah. In- but the 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 3D action character action game was spoilers. My wife is my arm. <laughs> his arm is his wife. Oh god. That is so much worse than my wife is dead. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> this is not literally objectification. How? <laughs> they killed his wife and they put her brain in his arm oh. to handle it. Okay, you know what would work with that? You know what you need if you're going to do that? You need the people who wrote Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, or uh, Two Thrones. And you need to be bitching with your wife yes, the entire time. Yes, you need Farrah and the Prince's dialogue between <laughs> by the commando guy and his arm. Yes. But yeah, it, it was that it was a terrible, terrible reboot. The controls were ass, and they made a re- imagine they made a... the joke she could make. She's now your hand. Oh God. <laughs> All right then. So from one vile reboot to a completely pure and childlike experience, it's a sequel to a fairly new franchise. Two Worlds Two. <laughs> Not the one I'm talking about. Uh, no, this is a game which has a very whimsical, very kid-friendly game style. Ah, oh, The Witcher 2. Okay, good. <laughs> Little Big Planet 2. Hey! Hey! <laughs> yes, it's not The Witcher 2. <laughs> I wish I hadn't... Oh, wait, we're on separate tracks. You we're can still get that. We'll Excellent. Still get that. <laughs> <laughs> the Witcher 2. Now, we've been to... We've been to the Land of Dreams and Little Big Planet 2. Now let's go to space. Two different space sequels came out this time. One, I'm just devoid of funny lines somehow. Mm-hmm. Two different games. So we'll start with the first one. You have a fixed protagonist and almost no user interface. That could be most games these days. No, no. This this doesn't have, like, an ammo reader on the screen. It's on the weapon, and you have to look at the weapon to see it. Ah, but it's got ammo. Um, You've told me about this. I can't remember which game it was. It's not Dead Space. It's uh, something. Yes, but it is Dead Space. Dead Space. Hey, too. all right. Dead oh, Space. Oh, you too. said no when you said no user interface. I thought you meant like including the things like the inventory screen and whatnot. No, it it, it does a lot to try and keep you from having a user interface, though. Mm-hmm. Like your health is displayed on your suit from behind. on your spine. Yeah, which isn't creepy at all. I was thinking. Okay, uh, that's that is a. Sp- uh, sparse user interface if you're thinking of like FPSs or whatever. I'm thinking of shit like Never Alone. Oh yeah, good point. There is literally nothing on screen. If, what you, there's like a little target thing that appears when you're aiming. But Yeah, good point. For, for a third person shooter though, Dead Space has a very minimalist user interface. Legit. And I really liked Dead Space 1. After I got through the bugginess of the Steam version and started using the Origin version. Gee, wow, I wonder why that worked out that way. <laughs> Yeah, you dicks. Yeah. Um, the the actual game, I, I really enjoyed it. It's it's dumb, and it's really quite flawed, but broadly speaking, I thought it was a fun, uh, kind of clunky experience. And I really <laughs> love, I say this every time he comes up, but I really love that in Dead Space, Isaac is an engineer, because it means 
why are all my guns kind of crap at killing things? Well, because they're not ah. guns, they're tools. They're things like a plasma cutter that's designed to weld holes in things. And why is why am I the one being sent to plot off to the other side of the ship to fix the train? Because it's your job! Exactly. That's, yeah, okay, I like that. When you first said it, I was going to say, you, is this like Gordon Freeman is a scientist? No. But no, it actually makes a lot of sense. Yes. Oh, I just, uh, I, was, I was watching a friend stream it a while back, and one of our running jokes was that Isaac Clark was actually like the worst engineer out there <laughs> because all of his problem, all of his solutions seems to resolve be resolved by stomping on things. Yep. Well, that could fit <laughs> well with engi- Lara Croft, worst archaeologist, and Mario, worst plumber. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mario is a profession. Still in space. Still a sequel. Mass Effect Two. Fuck. <laughs> Come on. You gotta give Jeb a chance to guess some stuff. <laughs> I like getting one immediately for once. Alright, yeah. I hadn't even heard of the first one. <laughs> yeah, it, it's Mass Effect 2, aka the good one. <laughs> Actually, you totally gave it away because you described the first one by has a fixed main character. And that uh... immediately made May Grain go, I know what the next one is. <laughs> <laughs> and two months later, another Bioware sequel came out, known as the bad one. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> but yeah, Mass Effect 2... Um, if I had to give anyone a, a, like, the advice I get, Mass Effect 2 is probably the best Mass Effect as a whole game. Like, from, from, sorry, from <laughs> right. start to finish, it's the one that's got the most cohesive, uh, story. It's the one that's generally the best. It's... Mass Effect 3 is a lot of fun to play, but you are definitely in the camp of that ending made no fucking sense. Yeah, the last... Again, hating on games because of what they try to do rather than what they do. Mass Effect 3 tried to do a lot of things and it hit its mark a lot of the time. But the last 1.5% of the plot is actively bad and about the middle third of the plot is kind of weak. And a lot of Mass Effect 3 insists... Not really insisted, but suggested heavily that you invest yourself in things like the the side novels and such. Yeah. With that... That Ugh. awful ninja... Yeah, Kai Ling. The only cool thing about Kai Ling, like the only thing I liked that has Kai Ling in it, was watching... Uh, oh god, what's his name? The Drell. Fuck, I've forgotten his name. Bad guy. He's, he's named after an Indian city. Um, The love interest. This is terrible. I can't remember his name. Don't look at me, I haven't played the story mode. Help me um, out, Jeff. I, I quite much want remember. to. I didn't want to play the story mode, but the reason I got the game at the time was to play multiplayer with you. And we did. And I don't want to play the single player without modding it to look attractive. Yeah, I can understand that. People are uggos in Mass Effect. I'm sorry they are there, I said it. Um, But I was also warned that modding things, because there's no sort of engine built in for it, might interfere with my ability to do multiplayer. So that was a real bummer, by the way. Like, the strength of Bioware games is usually uh, how moddable they are. Yeah. Can you say that again, the strength of... Like, the strength of Bioware games is normally how moddable they are. That was certainly the most fun I had with Baldur's Gate 2. The coolest thing to do with Kai Lang is when he tries to do... I'm, I'm going to spoiler a bit for Mass Effect 3's plot here, but it's like four years old, people. You, the statute <laughs> of limitations is over. I think there was enough discussion on Mass Effect 3's plot that even... Yeah. Uh, you know, I think within a year, the statute of limitations probably would have been over Within a week. <laughs> In one sequence, there is a... So there is a sequence where Kai Ling is about to assassinate someone, and it's very important, and if you've screwed up or done things badly, he succeeds. But if you don't, Thane, who at this point is dying, just a medical, you know, his, his medical condition has got to him, he's dying, he just pops up out of nowhere and schools Kai Ling <laughs> while coughing up blood. <laughs> 
And then as Kyling's running away, Thane's just like, that's not very professional. Watch for the Shinto, give me damn it. <laughs> oh, right then. Which means we have only one more sequel left. And then no, none will ever be released again. <laughs> one more January 2011 sequel. No more sequels allowed. Ah, oh, fuck. <clears throat> it is a disappointing sequel. It's a sequel. Okay, Dragon Age 2 didn't come out till March. <laughs> Dragon Age 2 wasn't until March. Sorry, that wasn't very nice. It there was, however... Good it was, however, a fantasy game. Two Worlds 2. Yes! Ah! Yes, it was the month of Two Worlds 2. <laughs> month when I got most disappointed. <laughs> wow, that was a whole pile of twos, specifically. Yeah. Not just sequels, but second games. Yeah. Um, it was... It was a, and honest to God, that's actually a pretty good roundup of games. Like, if you had been bought in... 2011 February, that crop of games, you'd have something you could enjoy. Like, Eventually. Two Worlds 2 is probably the worst game of that crop, and it's not tragic. Well, two two Worlds 2's big, my biggest complaint about it is that it's average. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking, it, it might look kind of bad at first. <laughs> if you saw Two it Worlds would... 2 and Bionic Commando 2, and all that, <laughs> great. But yeah, Two Worlds 2 is definitely the, the worst of that lot just because it's average. It yeah. lacks the magic. <laughs> On the other hand, it's And once foreign. again, we're back to having soul. Yeah. Because, you know, as, as flawed as the first two worlds was, it, it clearly had that spark of something really sincere that made it uh, thoroughly enjoyable, despite everything else. Now, on to not directly related to us gaming news. <clears throat> not to the retro news, not to this. There's just been a couple of things that have come out in gaming news recently worth spending a little bit of time talking about. Persona 5 trailer launched. Ah, uh, yes. Which appears to be kind of Ocean's Eleven meets <laughs> the Persona style. Meets Ocean's Eleven meets Japanese high school students. Meets a healthy dose of sweary visuals. Sweary? A uh, Japanese developer. Ah, really? Yeah, that, that, you know that really... Suddenly I'm interested. Yeah, um, <laughs> like, you know, bright red, grey, black... Big, stark shapes. Yeah, big, bold, solid colors, lots of silhouettes, lots mm -hmm. of uh, layers echoing the shapes. High yeah. contrast. Focus on motion. Which has sort of always been Persona's visual style, though they're really, they're, they're diving all the way into it this time. Yeah, uh, almost no shots are static. It's always pan shots or pullbacks or hovers. It's always a very deliberate sense of movement through space. It looks stylish as hell. And we know almost nothing about this at this point. <laughs> Well, we know it's Persona. Yeah, we know it's a Persona game. We also know the themes that the creators of the game were thinking about when they created it. Oh, do we? Yeah, which is a little worrying, because they the reason the characters are cat burglars is because of economic inequality. <laughs> is that more worrying than the way that you bring out your Persona in... Oh, you're persona right. Persona 3 is basically teen suicide? Yeah, okay, good point. Yeah, <laughs> but no. Uh, the Persona Five directors have already said that we these characters are thieves because there's no fair way to get ahead in the world anymore. <laughs> I'm into that. I think that's a useful message in video games. Like we're not there yet, but that's exactly what video games would be useful for pointing out. Like, hey, hey, -o, this is gonna be a problem. We should maybe do a thing about it. Oh my god, it's like art. It's like it has. A comment to make on society, even as it's being, you know, anime high school is having magical adventures. I just worry, I worry, I I have to worry that that's not going to Yeah. Well, well, 
and I also worry that a lot of people who don't really understand that particular phenomenon will think it's yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a fair point. You're thinking about Persona 4 and its handling of gender and sexuality? I'm just thinking about video okay. games in general. From what I've heard, the handling of gender and sexuality in the <clears throat> game Persona 4 was quite good, and in the anime it was interpreted in a much in a much more coloured fashion. Kanji in Persona 4, in-game, is handled relatively well. Yeah. There is still a character who is a homophobe who says homophobic things to Kanji and never gets called out for it, which is not very cool. Mm, and okay. Naoto is a gigantic, complex ball of stuff I don't feel comfortable talking about. Well, at the last check, it's debatable as to whether Naoto is a crossdresser or a... Trans male uh, or yeah, exactly. something else as well, Yeah, which is where it all gets more complicated. And but it's okay the, for that to not be answered. That's okay for not to be answered. But the romance track, and therefore the thing you are rewarded for, is about making Naoto comply to female norms. Oh, Fuck hell. So, yeah, This is really something Japanese games need to stop fucking doing with the... Here my finger quotes, tomboy character. Yeah. I find that to be a tremendously offensive word because it carries this loaded implication of uh, masculine behavior being childish and something you're going to grow out of and, yeah. you know, that that is a huge problem. It also but... just shows a massive amount of disrespect for Naoto's own control of her identity. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, control of their identity i don't even know <laughs> this is something i almost always have for uh dating sim type games this is the main reason i despite being really interested in the genre um that i usually don't play them because there was a very long string of every time there was a a sporty or a masculine character the whole basis of the romance with her would be to reveal her hidden feminine side or to feminize yeah. her. Not even like something the character would do intentionally, but, you know, it, it would come up that she was scared of bugs and she really liked that you noticed because no one else thinks she's cute and girly, but you realized, and that makes yeah. her feel like a real girl again. And uh... Yeah, so Naoto, in, in, apparently in the Japanese dialogue, Naoto never declares a gender. And I wish our language could do that well. Yeah, and that's something that the English translation didn't handle well, the romance didn't handle well. Right. There's there's a lot. So, Naoto is generally handled bad, and now we're talking about economic inequality in Persona 5, so maybe they'll handle that badly. I just want to say, uh, this is my uh, one free Fire Emblem segue per episode. Uh, I just want to say that for all that it has its heteronormativity problems... Uh, they did an excellent job with Sully, who is possibly the greatest female character in Fire Emblem Awakening, who has the whole entirely masculine thing, and her romance track is not about her wanting to feel feminine, her friendship tracks are not about her wanting to feel feminine, uh, it just doesn't happen, and that's really tremendously satisfying, because I spent the whole time being afraid that that was going to be what it was all about with her, and it wasn't, and that felt so good. Also, in Persona 5... Just to give you, just to make sure you don't think that these people have tried to make too sensible a game. <laughs> One of the main cast of Cat Burglars is a cat. The cat wears a cat mask to make sure no one recognizes it. Still not as cool as Karamaru. Yeah, Karamaru is pretty rad. You normally hate animals wearing clothes, but is okay. That's kind of special because he sort of thinks like a human more than other animals. That, that's when it's getting into borderline okay. Uh-huh. Alright, um, another piece of gaming news. Sunless Sea is out of early access. What's Sunless Sea? Okay, yeah. um... That was right, not we'll my question. We'll find out. Okay. Well. Um, Sunless Sea... 
<clears throat> Sunless Sea is out of early access. Sunless Sea is a roguelike exploration game set in a subterranean ocean where you are moving from lost city to lost city, exploring ancient ruins in your dingy little boat. It's made by the same people who made Fallen London, formerly Echo Bazaar, which mostly gets swapped around amongst people as a sort of... It either gets mentioned as the one good Facebook game or (laughs) a really good inclusivity game. Because in Fallen London, when you introduce your character and do the character creation bit, they start by asking you, I, uh, should I be addressing you as sir or madam? And your responses are sir, madam, or what kind of stupid question is that? There are starfish walking the streets in top hats and canes, young person. Why are you bothering me with such odd and strange questions? There are more important things afoot. That's pretty Is that a direct great. quote? Not quite, but it's really close. Like the walking starfish things really sticks in my head. <laughs> Uh, I like so, that because that's not even a choice between three options so much as it is there's an option where the option is just fuck it's off. not important. Which doesn't imply you aren't one of the other two. Just yeah. that it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I play a character who never declared a gender in, in a yeah. Fallen London. There yeah, are probably so many ways dude, to interpret that, and that's very cool. Also, Fallen London is full of... It, it, it's, it's one of the most narrative games ever. It's got an enormous word count. Um... And one of the and multiple stories are you romance and you wine and you dine and you schmooze and you invite someone to dinner and you have uh, in some cases you know dangerous duels and amazing fencing escapades that culminate in a, in a heated kiss kind of mm. thing and you can have these with dudes you can have these with ladies you can have these with undeclared. What about I don't starfish? know if you can smooch a starfish. I don't know if starfish you can smooch a starfish. have complicated sexes, don't they? They have complicated everything. Yeah, I thought so. But, yeah. I, Not that that's a reason you couldn't. So, Fallen London is, effectively, it's a browser game. Mm-hmm. And it's free to play. It does your typical, you run out of actions kind of thing. The engine is really powerful, especially because it, it basically just remembers two variables for everything kind of thing. Do you have this thing? Do you have this other thing? Okay, cool, we can go. So you wind up having an inventory that includes things like Spotted by a constable on a snowy evening, which okay. is a key for a particular type of puzzle. <laughs> Not so much an inventory, but a recollection. Yeah, and it has very odd currencies, and it's a it's an odd game. It's certainly worth it's certainly worth a player going out and having a look at if you're interested in game design. The people behind that have made Sunless Sea. Sunless Sea is not the one where you can get like stuck under the water and running out of fuel, and you can eat your. Uh, crew, right? You, you can eat the crew. It is that one. Oh dear. Yeah, it's, I probably can't play that. Yeah, I believe it's tagged as explore ruins, find ancient citizen cities, go mad, eat your crew. <laughs> okay, I have heard of this, and I wish that I that you would explain it to me better than the, it was proposed to me before, or else I would have played, played it by now. It, it's one of the only games I've seen recently where a character can have a turban. And it's, you know, it's one of the, well, games, games have let you have turbans recently, it's just this is the first one I've played in a while that let you have a turban. That's cool. So, Virindia has been talking about it. <laughs> Another thing that's been brought to our attention, in part by the wonderful Lucy Morris, is 4th of February. Jeb, do you want to unpack this for us a bit? Uh, to my understanding, it is an uh, attempt to play and finish four games in the month of February. I, I assume they choose four because it's a four-week-long month. Yep. Oh, holy crap. I'm doomed. I've kind of 
not really participating, or if I am, it's kind of tangentially. My idea is to finally finish Final Fantasy IV. Nice. Cute. <laughs> what about you, Talon? You could finally start Persona 4. I, well, this is the thing. I've done 4 for February two years running now without realizing it. Yes, but it didn't count then. There was no hashtag. Oh, god damn, a hashtag. In which case, I would say that one of the games I have finished... Uh, already this February would be Elegy for a Dead World. How is that? It is kind of amazing, and yet for me, kind of... It's kind of alienating for me, because ultimately Elegy for a Dead World is a game that tries to make a game of writing. Mm -hmm. And it it is interesting, it is cooperative, it's collaborative, it does a lot of good things like writing prompts. It's beautiful. Oh my goodness, does it look good. And it has a good hunk of ideas in the in the mechanics of how it wants to encourage you to write. Um, disclosure: I was given an early access um, code to play this game, so I've seen it through various stages of the game, and I saw it before it had prompts, and I played it a bit then. But for me, as a writer, I don't have a problem per se in uh, what I would guess I would call generating content. I'm reasonably comfortable as a writer just sitting down and generating words. Um, Elegy, for a Dead Wo- Elegy for a Dead World is a game that makes a game of presenting you with bits and then saying, can you explain these in a story? Oh, yes. It does it beautifully. It does it elegantly. And the stories you read from other people are really... I don't want to sound dismissive. They're good for what they are because they're ultimately writing in response to writing prompts... Some parts of the stories are fixed. Some of the visual stimuli they get are fixed. But you will still see numerous different interpretations of people who've read other stories and are now working on expanding the stories that they're seeing. It's it's a really properly interesting game. I recommend it to any writer who wants something to kick them into action or wants just some sort of challenge-stretching mode. (laughs) Or... Um, if you're not much of a writer, but you really like stories, if you like sitting around with your friends and talking about things and, and hearing their narratives, it's it provides a very nice science fiction take on that. And again, it looks so good. <laughs> but uh, as far as actually fall for February, I don't know yet. I really don't know. <laughs> Um, I don't know that I have time for fall for February because I'm supposed to be completing making a game. Just a visual novel, so not a lot of a game, but still a game. Which is top secret and under wraps and... Well, I don't know what I'm going to call it yet. It's just going to be a short little Otome-type game designed to uh, demonstrate Renpai. For a convention, Talon and I will be going to in March, Room 801. Right. It's smart. <laughs> it's an Australian convention for the anime gay. And I, I took it upon myself this time around to do a workshop to show people how to use Renpai on a very basic level. Because for a lot of these people, uh, you know, they're interested in producing games, but not in programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Renpai is one of the few ways you're going to get around that very cleanly. Even if you want to delve into Python, because Python is very linguistic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, Renpai is um, is interesting in those terms because you can basically involve as much actual Python as you want, mm-hmm. but you don't have to involve any. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, obviously it's not the best tool if you're an actual programmer who wants to get a game made, uh, but you would already know that if you're an actual programmer who wants to get a game made. Um, but for people who are interested in that side of things a little, uh, it's a very good place to start. Because you can, you know, venture into those waters if you fancy, uh, and then 
uh, hop out of them again as quickly as possible if you don't fancy. Uh, but anyway, and mostly it's incredibly easy to put together a standard-style visual novel. I did want to bring up one other bit of uh, gaming news. Uh, uh, yeah. Our, our LK friends have... Oh, I can't believe I forgot <laughs> this. But, but yes, please, please. Our LK friends have started a new... or have revealed tidbits of a, a new project, and it's in the form of a Tumblr blog called The One-Time Cover-Up. And it's essentially is an ARG for their upcoming title. And it seems to center around what looks like uh, an in-universe dating app that has been causing people to disappear when they're meeting for their uh, meeting for their rendezvous. Hmm. The... I'll just read... I could, just read a quick post off of this blog. It says, All of you are using this fucking things. All my friends, family, fucking everyone. But you do not know what it is. What it's doing. What's actually going on. I am the one Austin wants to, wants to silence. I've already had my YouTube account and Twitter accounts shut down. But I'll be back. For now, this blog will do. Collecting all the info I can. I see. And this is Owl Cave, the people who brought us Richard and Alice. Oh, okay. So this is going to be good. <laughs> and I've heard that this is going to ha- I've been told this is going to have, this has some of their best writing yet. Wow. It's uh, a very interesting sort of thing. I'm, I'm very excited to see where this winds up going. Yeah, well, uh, it certainly seems like you have something to keep an eye on if you're curious as to where it's going to go. Let's shift. Anyone listening wants to follow that, uh, that Tumblr blog, it, blog, it's just one tie.me. We will have a link in the podcast description to make it nice and easy for people. By the way, tiny bit of adventure game trivia from uh, last that didn't make it into the last week's episode. The Black Cauldron game <laughs> was developed by Al Lowe. That was kind of a surprise. Oh my! Yep. Yes! Normally you'd think if Al Lowe talked about a black cult. Oh, Ooh. oh, oh. oh. Uh, For readers who are under the age of, say, 25, Al Lowe is the developer of Leisure Suit Larry. Leisure Suit Larry is very indicative of his personal sense of humor. That's all for this week on the Downloadable Concept Podcast. Once again, that's been Fox. That's been Jeb. And that's been Talon. Tune in next week when there's no Talon because he's been fired. Also, I've gone mad and eaten Jeb. There is no news today. Go home and hug your loved ones. Do not look at the sky.